it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech language therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Justin Stiver, the owner of Total Therapy Florida. Justin grew the practice from one location to now seven locations across Florida. Paul and Justin talk through how to market your clinic to future generations, tactics for developing incredible patient experiences, and why you must get out of the trenches if you're a clinic owner and ever want to sell your business. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. Let's start at the top. Give me like the one minute overview on like total therapy. You know, what's the rundown? So total therapy got started in 2018 by me. Basically, I was a you know relatively new grad physical therapist. I was out for a few years. But the kind of the dream of total therapy happened before I was even out of school because when I was shopping around looking at, at places to work, I was I just couldn't find a clinic that I fit in with. They weren't doing things the way I wanted to do it. And I was and I definitely didn't want to get into the situation where I'm button heads with somebody trying to make their business into something that it's not. So I was working as a tech through PT school for a guy who lived in Ohio, but he still had an office down here in Florida in Osprey, Florida. And he kind of said, look, you stay on with us after you graduate. And when you're ready, we can just make something work. So it was a nice deal for me. And after about two or three years, I decided it was time. And that's when Total Therapy Florida started. I quickly realized that in order to do things the way that I want to do them, that we had to have some growth there. If you want nice things, if you want excellent processes, great team behind you. You can't have a little mom and pop that does $350,000 worth of revenue every year. You have to grow. And that's kind of what sparked the growth with Total Therapy Florida. And now today we're up to seven locations and expanding still and everything's great. And we have a great reputation and uh, I couldn't be happier. That's awesome. So just to kind of dig into that a little bit further. So 2018 is kind of the key date there. So you're, you know, let's call it five plus years into this now. You know, most people that I ask about like what the next three to five years of the industry looks like, they'll kind of give me like the, I don't know, if they have an opinion at all, it's probably something they Googled. You can like clearly tell they read it on the internet, (laughs) but you actually have some really interesting thoughts here. So I don't want to steal your thunder. So you started this thing five plus years ago based on here we are middle of 2023. What's your thought on what does the PT business look like? you know, five years from now? Just what's the guess right here, right now in the middle of 2023? You know, it's, we're at kind of this part in our growth where I'm looking at the next five years and saying, do I want to continue on the growth pattern I'm on now? Or do I want to, you know, kind of hang around the seven to 10 clinic mark and really fine tune our processes? And I think going up to 10 clinics, we're still a, a small business. I still know every person that works for us. I still love to treat and we're agile and our team's proud of that right now. And I'm kind of staring at some of these elephants in the room, like the big franchise, you know, model, model companies that 
a lot of my therapists that I'm hiring right now are coming from these places and saying how much they hated working there. So I have this fear of turning into that down the road. So I'm kind of at, at the point now where I'm trying to say, how can I continue growing without losing the aura or the coolness or the, you know, whatever you want to call it that makes our team have such a loyal, loyal base that loves, loves to be total yeah. therapy Florida. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to like name names and get ourselves in trouble here, but I think everybody knows probably what you're talking about with the franchises. Yeah. Let's talk about, and again, I'm probably not going to make any friends over this, but you know, you and I have uh, sat across the dinner table from each other a couple of times and uh, putting aside the fun that we have, you've got some really interesting thoughts on sort of branding and marketing as a clinic owner that I think are pretty unique. Like a lot of, I think a lot of practice owners and I'll say this assertively, and you can kind of deny this if you disagree. But like, I think a lot of practice owners love the craft, you know, the craft of treating patients and that. And then sort of everything else in terms of operations, finance, marketing, branding, all that's kind of like, ugh, I don't want to do that. And so it all kind of gets left to the side. But particularly as it relates to branding and marketing, you've, I think, I feel like you're ahead of the curve in terms of the way you're thinking about branding and marketing as a PT, as a practice owner, all that. Can you just talk about that a little bit? I'm trying not to steal your thunder here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. What I kind of gather from the physical therapists that I know and have met is that the physical therapy practice owners, and I'm just casting a broad net here, so I'm sure uh, I don't want, you know, you don't say that's not me, you know, but uh, look, there's a hundred percent chance we're going to get hate mail on this for <laughs> sure. So we might as well just have some fun with it. <laughs> they think and I'm going to make enemies here, but the average PT practice owner thinks that they're a better physical therapist than every other physical therapist out there. And the funniest thing is they think that actually matters, you know, and they think that that's the most important thing that they have to offer. And they think that their 30 years of experience make them special. And what I quickly realized, even before I was a physical therapist, was that it's not the physical therapist that matters. It's the patient experience that they get when they come into clinic. And so when I, when I started Total Therapy Florida, that was our number one thing that we were trying to, to dissect and almost, you know, is the patient experience. And we tried to say, you know, how can we make the patient experience great? And it, and it can't be tied to one person because that's honestly the, you're screwing yourself when you have a patient that needs to see you only. And it's not good for the business. It's not good. And it's a lie to the patient to make them think that they need you to get better. They don't. They need guidance and they need a good patient experience that makes them leave feeling good like what they just received was valuable. And if it is valuable, they're going to come back in. And the thing with physical therapists is 90% of what we do on a daily basis is not rocket science. And it's honestly... It could be done with someone that's not nearly as trained as what we are. Now, 10% of what we do is very strategic and skilled, and that's very important. And those excellent PTs that have been out for you know, 25 or 30 years, that 10% is great. But if you're missing on that other 90%, then your patient's not going to come back because they didn't feel comfortable. They didn't feel like they got value there. And just making the patient like you, honestly, is more important than how skilled of a physical therapist you are. Because if they come in 15 visits and they do their exercises and they get functionally stronger, they're gonna feel better and they're gonna have a great outcome. If you don't connect with that person and you know 
they stop coming after three visits, they're not going to get better and they're not going to have a good outcome. They could be with the best physical therapist in the world with three visits or a mediocre physical therapist for 15 visits and the mediocre physical therapist is going to have a better outcome. So Mm -hmm. convincing our team that is the most important thing has really allowed us to grow with such a strong brand and a strong reputation to, you know, I think we're at 35 or 40 physical therapists now. Yeah. You know, I think you're absolutely right. We're going to have some, probably some haters or enemies on this one, but I think that that's the most insightful piece right there. And I agree with it is that the practice or the skill itself is a commodity. And the minute you can, like, I think if somebody was listening to this and feels triggered by that statement, if you can just put that aside for a minute, I think the reality though is, is that from a patient standpoint, that's really not a differentiating factor. Like I have never been a PT, but I can tell you that like, I've gone to the same primary care guy for 40 years. I could care less what his certifications are. I just like hanging out with him. Right. <laughs> you know? yep. And I think it's such a small thing, but it is the thing in, in the world that I come from. I, you know, I'm not from healthcare, but you know, it's like, what I like to tell people is, and I see some similarities here is that like, I tell people that like, Capital deal flow and judgment are what most people think makes a good investor. But the reality is, is that capital deal flow and judgment are table stakes. You got to just be able to do those things or have those things to play the game. The real differentiator is access. Do founders actually like you? Because when something gets competitive or problems occur, the likability, that harder to measure thing is the differentiator. And I think that's kind of what you're saying here is that like it carries right over it's we're in the services business we're in and that's how all services businesses work you yeah. know you have to have like you i forget how you just said it but that's the table fair right yeah being a physical therapist that's not a bonehead is the table fair okay <laughs> and yeah. what makes a great physical therapist is someone has that x factor to make the patient buy in and like them now what makes an excellent physical therapist is maybe one that is is a great skilled physical therapist and has that X factor. Those people are excellent. But the patient, honestly, the patient doesn't see that. Maybe the physical therapist you work with can pick that out, but the patient doesn't care or doesn't know the difference between a great and an excellent physical therapist. If they And honestly, like I don't practice all the time. My physical therapy skills are rusty. I still fill in every once in a while. Well, the patients think that I am the best physical therapist is because I can talk really well and I can get them to, you know, like me. But I say, like, I don't practice much. Every physical therapist that I have working for me is more skilled than I am when it comes to all the physiology, all the biomechanics, all those things. Cause I don't, I spend 90% yeah. of my time marketing and branding and, you know, networking and I don't do it in the, you know, actually doing physical therapy anymore. So I'm rusty. Yeah. Now I think, yeah. Going back, I, I kind of went off on a little tangent there and didn't really answer your question, but all good. But my point to that whole spiel was by tackling that hurdle first of being able to make the patient happy with any physical therapist they see because they're all know what's involved in the patient experience. It's allowed me to really pull back and of the clinical care and work on the business itself, the marketing and the branding and the networking and the growth and the strategy which I think is is the Achilles heel to most owner operators is they spend so much time in the clinic, in the trenches that they can't take their head up to do those things. And before you know it, 25 years has gone by and where are you at? Well, and then, and then they're in that other, then they're in this awkward situation of, 
they're stuck in the business. It's hard to sell that. And yeah. it's sort of a tragedy. Not that my opinion matters or whatever, but for context, I think one of the reasons why your opinion is really interesting to me, and I say this with all the, you know, I understand that like, you know, you're a client of ours and it's in my best interest to like stroke your ego, but I genuinely don't mean to do that. But here's the deal. Like, I think that's what's interesting about what the way you're operating that's different than anybody else I see in, in the client base that we have right now and and frankly out there on the internet right now is the fact that like, whether or not you would say it this way, I think the fact that you seem to always be thinking like three to five years from now, I think that that's so interesting because a lot of practice owners not only are stuck in the day-to-day, like you said, but they're also like acting as if the patient demographic isn't going to change over the next couple of years as well. Like in broad strokes, if you keep building for boomers and you're not ready for what Gen X or Gen Y wants over the next three or five years as they age in, you're going to be way behind the curve. And I think the reality is it's not an either or, it's not do this or that, it's an and, unfortunately. Like whether we like it or not, Gen Y or millennials are just a few years away from really getting into the PT world and needing services much more. And like, we know that they look at social media for to build trust. We know that they're probably using YouTube to figure out what's going on with their shoulder before they even come into your office, right? And I just think it's really fascinating that you're thinking way ahead of that, whether you know that or not, or whether you think about it that way. But talk to me about how you feel about that. So I've been thinking about that since we have a very unique, this industry, yeah, meaning not just physical therapy, but the private practice healthcare industry in general that accepts insurance has a unique, and I, you know, you talked about this before, is that you can be a premium service brand and you can't charge the premium prices. You get the premium doctors to send to you and you get the premium selection of clients and you get to drop some insurances and get premium pay that way. But ultimately you're, you're still tied to the same model that the guy down the street does and doesn't have nearly your costs because they don't care about having nice things and, you know, all that stuff. So what we're actually working on now, and, you know, it's just in its infancy, is figuring out a add-on to our business where we can start to capture that next generation of the physical therapy clients. And it's a lot of digital type of things going on. And because people want to, and it's not, I shouldn't just say it's Gen Xers or, you know, millennials. It's even the boomers are, you know, going onto YouTube now to search things and they'll still end up in the clinic. That's the difference. Like they'll still end up in the clinic pretty easily because they want to go into the clinic and they're retired and they everything else, which I think we'll always have as that age group stays there, but they're going to qualify you now, mm-hmm. you know, based on you know, what's your brand is online first. Yeah. So that's the big shift is getting content out there. And who knows, you might be able to build an actual business with this digital content, but it might just be for branding. Who knows where that ends up? But it, it goes back though to that. If you're treating patients all the time and you're putting out fires and your company isn't set up to let you have the time and the freedom to pay attention to these things, you can't act on them. Yeah. So I'm going to just keep echoing that I think you're right. And I think that most practice owners have a branding and marketing problem, whether they know it or not. And I think that not that this is the same, but it draws a lot of parallels. Like I do a lot of angel investing in the tech world. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, you know, my wife and I are in like 3,200 other companies now. And it's like, 
One very interesting pattern is, is that when I ask people why they think the majority of companies fail, they correctly say, oh, well, they didn't, they ran out of money, right? That's what they say. But where they then fail is then I ask them, but how did they run out of money? And what tends to happen actually in the research is, is that really smart people, like in this case, doctors, in that case, like engineers and stuff like that, really smart people are interesting to me because in the sense that when things get hard, they tend to kind of go back to the thing they know best. So in other words, like the founder of a tech company that is going to fail today probably saw it coming six months ago. And rather than do the hard work of, oh, you know what? We probably need to pick up the phone 200 times a day and try to sell something. They say, man, if we only had one more feature or we, and then they like go inward and eventually run out of money because more features is what they think is going to solve it because that's what they know. I see so many parallels here when I see, when, you know, we talk to struggling practices every day. It's like, it's hard not to immediately see the same pattern. You have these really smart doctors that then became practice owners, but then inevitably kind of stall somewhere in that first, second, or third year. They're kind of like in that in-between. And it's almost always because like what they know is the skill, the trade, the stuff yeah. they do. And it's uncomfortable almost to kind of really address the root problem. And a lot of them even know what the problem is. They just... I don't know that they want to face it. Yeah, that's know? fair. That's fair. That's fair. Because when I talk to practice owners, you know, that and I tell them, what, yeah, you know, I, I know I should be doing that too. And I, I you know, I just, uh, and yeah. I've known that for a long time, but I didn't act on it. And yeah, why does that happen? I, I don't know. Well, then they'll say that I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Right. But then in the meantime, you can make some small talk. And you're like, oh, yeah, I totally watched Top Chef last night. And you're like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> okay. Got it. And you know what? And I, I have to say that PT is one business where you could open up. If you want to be a, an owner operator and have one clinic and you wanted to have, you know, it's funny because I was, we were you know, looking at this guy's office. This guy's practice down in Punta Gorda. And he said, oh, yeah, I, my wife needs me to be home by 2 o'clock on, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I shut my doors at 2 o'clock. And, you know, more power to him if that's what makes him happy and that's his his life. And then you can do that pretty easily in the PT world. You can open up your own practice and you can be an owner-operator and you can do all the work and you can have your wife sit at the front desk or your husband sit at the front desk. And you can make a good, relatively yep. good living and be very happy. But you got to be the owner operator. Well, I think you got to be the owner operator and you got to be really honest about what you're trying to build. Like if flexibility is the goal, then let's build for flexibility. And if dominating the entire state is the goal, then let's build for that. You know, I think the real challenge is when people just aren't being truthful to themselves and then they wonder why they look up one day and they're stalled, they're stuck in the business. And the real tragedy is they can't even sell it now. That's what I was just going to say. And you know, unfortunately, the same person I'm talking about, they're like, okay, I make, you know, the business makes $130,000 a year. Oh, wow. Okay, good. Let's break it down. You know, I only pay myself $30,000 a year because my house is paid off and my cars are paid off. And my kids are out of college. And I don't need to pay myself anymore. So, and I'm like, Ooh, okay, well, I got to pay <laughs> a therapist $130,000 to run this clinic. So, your business is worth zero dollars. No, no, no. Uh, I'll show you my tax returns. I made one hundred and thirty thousand. Like, oh, right? Geez, right. man, I'm about to rip your heart out here. <laughs> yeah, and here I thought you were such a nice guy, Justin. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. You know, you and obviously, don't tell me anything I'm not supposed to know. Don't name names if I'm going to get in trouble. But like, 
you've been on sides of acquisitions where you've bought them and you know rolled them up and grown and and then you've been on the other side where you're like that's cool but I'm not doing it just kind of like what you alluded to so talk to me about how you what do you look for when you're acquiring a practice I know that's a big question right but like what are the rules of thumbs what makes a practice valuable so we've started de novo the first one obviously we didn't start de novo but it was kind of like starting de novo because I was the clinic director and we got it for a very good price from you know and so we didn't have to walk anything back like you would have to if you bought something that was not yours already running we purchased one clinic that was in business the guy was in business for 30 years and really to be honest with you it was mainly because of the building that we bought the actual real estate which is what really got us there but we made him kind of feel special and say we're going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars for your business and five hundred thousand dollars for your building even though the building was probably worth six hundred thousand dollars he wanted to sell it to a private practice physical therapist. So he wouldn't even put it on the market for fair market value. He only wanted to list that to a physical therapist that would buy the building and a practice. And it goes to speak for the passion that a lot of the practice owners have after running your own business for 30 years. You don't want to see that die. But I have to say it was the most frustrating six months ever to take over a client list of a person or practice that's doing things much differently than how you want to do things. And which is why now I'm so picky about, I'd rather just do it de novo and, or buy a practice that is, is very well run from a, it doesn't take the owner to operate. And we're looking at, okay, if we just bring our brand into this business, we can get these doctors to refer that aren't referring now. And you know we can take it from this mark to that mark. And it's great. But I probably, I'm not terribly interested in buying operating businesses and that are run by the practice owner that we've just spent the last half hour talking about. You know, it's more the ones, and those are typically the ones that aren't itching to sell either because they're well-run practices and everything else. So, but I will say like, quick, funny story. The guy that I bought this one, it was, this is a Sarasota office that I'm actually working out of now. His name was Ofer. The first two times, I don't know if I had Frozen in my mind, but I was calling him, I was calling him Olaf, like the snowman <laughs> from Frozen movie. So I had to, I had to get myself out of the hole there. But we brought him on, and the deal was he's going to be available for six months on a consulting basis, and I think for up to ten hours per week is kind of what I said. Not treating patients, just consulting with me about his business. If I have questions, well, my first patient with him was say an eight o'clock patient. I walk into this room and the guy's laying on his stomach, butt naked. Okay. With all the lights <laughs> off, all his clothes and his shoes stacked on top of the chair and he's ready for his 45 minute massage, you know? And I'm like, uh, excuse me, you know, you know, Mr. Smith or whatever. I'm Justin. I'm the physical therapist that's going to be treating you. You know, we just purchased Ofer's practice. And I think he told you that, you know, I need you to put your clothes back on. <laughs> and so that come to find out, you know, and I already knew this was going to happen. That's why, you know, we really didn't pay much for the practice in general because there wasn't a lot of value there is he was basically running a massage practice and labeling it as physical therapy, which is what so many practice owners do because, hey, who wouldn't want a 
45 minute massage and charge it to their Medicare benefit, you know, <laughs> balance. I mean, geez. So that was, it goes to show you like, we probably only retain 10% of his clients, you know, and that's where I think you can get in big trouble if you buy one of these small practice owners. And if it's not someone giving out massages and I'm probably making it sound worse than it was, this just happened to be my first patient, you know, but um, if you're not careful, you you pay money for a client base that doesn't want the product that you sell. You know, they yeah. want to go in there and get an ice pack and a hot pack and a massage and that's it. They don't know that PT is not supposed to be that way and they're better off, but you're going to waste all your time trying to convince that client that you're better and that massages aren't the best way to make you walk better. So after about, I think it was three weeks, probably this guy Ofer, you couldn't phase the guy. He had a smile on his face all the time. And, uh, he would walk in and, hi, hey, Justin, how you doing? You know, everything's great, man. This place looks great. I can't believe you made it look this good. And no, oh, man, this, and after about four weeks, I looked at him, I said, Ofer, I spend every day convincing five, six patients that they're not supposed to get massages for their physical therapy the whole time. I said, I'm so pissed at you that every time I see your face, I just makes me angry. So, so I said, go home and never come back in here. I don't want to see your face again. Just go home. I said, for the next five months per our contract, if I call your phone, I want you to answer, but I don't ever want you to walk in this clinic again. <laughs> When I'm sure that was like music to his ears, you know, he's probably like, hell yeah. You know, so yeah. he said, okay, Justin, I understand. And he walked out the door and I haven't seen him since. <laughs> when you started telling that story, I saw that going a different direction. You were going to talk about, you know, giving the patient a great experience, but uh, you heard nope. it here first. Uh, you don't do massages. <laughs> yeah. And now to end the story with a cherry on top. Okay. <laughs> Okay. About a year after we bought the practice, because we kept the phone number the same, the fax number the same, the same so as people call in, we can capture them. Well, I get a voicemail on the weekend from this guy. He's screaming at the phone and he's screaming at Ofer. Ofer, this is John with so-and-so. And I can't believe you would steal my business like that. I showed you massage chairs and the massage chair business. I told you about that. And I am... And I told you that I would be open to you investing in me, but now you wouldn't open up your own massage chair business and I'm coming after you. You better lawyer up and, you know, and, and I'm going to get you. And I was like, holy smokes. So apparently this guy sold me this physical therapy business and then went and opened up his own massage chair business. <laughs> and he's just making enemies left and right. Oh my gosh. I was, I had to laugh. I called the guy back and I said, look, Ofer doesn't have anything to do with this business anymore. I'm just saying that because I sensed that you were going to like throw a Molotov cocktail <laughs> through my window or something like that and burn this place down. I want to let you know, I don't like the guy either. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because again, there's just so many parallels. It's like, you know, people think that the deal is the hard part. Like when you imagine what it's like to do a an acquisition of a company or whatever, they have these ideas like, oh, it must be like Shark Tank. You know, you walked in, you impressed somebody, shook hands, and money just fell out of the sky. And the truth is, is that I feel like the deal is the easy part. Even most of the due diligence is the easy part. The hard part is like all the stuff that's not in the diligence packet. It's this stuff. Like I imagine you wouldn't have known that the patients thought they were getting massages 
unless you actually were treating the patients. And that's, that's the know? kind of stuff that, yeah. yeah, it wouldn't come up in the diligence. But you've been around the block now, so you see this stuff. Like, maybe just switching gears for a second on the other side of this. Like, you know, you said it earlier, you've got 35 or 40 um, clinicians across your locations now. I mean, that's got to be hard. What's that like? Like, what's the biggest challenge of, you know, you, again, you, five years ago, it was just you, and now it's 40 other folks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I thought the challenge was going to be making sure everyone could provide that patient experience and be a quality enough person. And, you know, because the market right now for physical therapists, it's not like you're choosing through 10 of them to get, you know, one or two. You're choosing through two to get two or, you know, two to get one or three to get two. You can't really be too selective. Now, the good thing is that all these people are highly educated and they wouldn't have got to where they're, they're at today if they if they weren't. So it's really just teaching them the soft skills. So a lot of our training onboarding is the patient experience is the soft skills of being likable. And honestly, in our teams at this point, it's actually pretty easy because they're surrounded by a team of people that are excellent and they always step up to that, that quality, you know? So if you put an average therapist into our clinics with three or four excellent therapists, they're going to it's going to be two months and they're going to be excellent. And I don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing is, is keeping the culture fun and engaging. And that's what I spend most of my time thinking about how we can do it, whether yeah. it's just making people laugh and, and, and having that camaraderie with each other. And then having a place where, because most therapists, almost all therapists, they care a lot about developing their skills as a physical therapist. Like, they love their craft and they want to continue to grow, you know, whether it's certifications or therapy skill sets. So we've put into place a team that specifically works on you know, therapist educational components and is that like mentorship program to build your skills as a physical therapist. That's internally. Mm -hmm. And that has been probably the biggest, you know, once we launched that and I started seeing success with that, we've actually had quite a few therapists jumping shit from other companies, talking to their friends who work for us saying, hey, if you work at Total Therapy Florida, not only do they do cool stuff, like last year we did we did a Tampa Bay Lightning game where we all took a charter bus out, out there and had all kinds of coolers full of beer on the way up there, had a suite. We did that. You know, that kind of stuff is important. It builds that. We did, uh, but just little internal communications with like competitions and games and stuff like that. We spend a lot of time and energy to keep people engaged in the company. And I think that that is where corporate, if I had to say one, the biggest thing where a corporate physical therapy office that has maybe a hundred clinics goes wrong is that they lose the ability to do that or they don't do it, one of the two. Obviously there are companies out there that have a high quality, a high cultural, you know, that are giant companies. So obviously it can be done. It's just so far in the physical therapy space, I, I have not, I have yet to seen a corporate entity that engages their team like we do. And I think yeah. that's the biggest X factor that we have. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think that culture aspect is something that people don't talk enough about. Like, you know, it's interesting. Again, I think one of the things that's interesting about you is that I'll, every time I meet you, like you'll find a way. Like, you know, you're always like, I can just see how your gears are turning. And this is so refreshing because it's different. Like a lot of folks I talk to, and again, because of the job, the work I'm in, I'm talking to practice owners every day. 99.9% .9 of them are really quick to tell you all the ways something won't work. And, and an example is, is they'll point at staffing issues. Gosh, it's so hard to hire a PT. It's so hard to do this. I don't want to lose that. Da, 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 right. And 
I think like the one thing that you do different that I think a lot of other people should maybe pay attention to in their own practices is that whether you would agree, uh, say it this way or not is irrelevant. I think the truth is you're operating total therapy almost as if it's a media company that happens to be in the physical therapy space. Whereas most other owners are kind of like, hey, we do physical therapy. We might have a social media intern. Right. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but my point is, is that I think given where the market is going to head over the next couple of years, if it's not already there or heading that way, is that like, you can't just bolt on marketing. It has to be like baked into everything. It's like what you talked about going to the event, right? Like you're probably all wearing total therapy shirts, I'm guessing, you know, you probably. And so the point is though, is that like, I think the thing that most practice owners don't understand is that like, they need to really start to embrace media and marketing and branding as, as a core tenant. Because the other side of this is, is like every practice is playing a hyper-local marketing game. You know, for example, we are, you know, at Strata, we're like a, you know, a, a tech company, if you will. And, and we're playing sort of nationally and we've got to like do search engine marketing, pay-per-click, social media, all that stuff at a national level. Whereas like, for example, with Total Therapy Florida, you don't really need to win the battle of like PT in Wisconsin, right? You don't have sure. a practice over there. But I think that like, it's really fascinating that you guys are like in this hyper-local marketing game. You know that, but I think a lot of other practices don't know that. And I think if people take any one thing away or just one thing away from this, it's that like, at the end of the day, you've got to do whatever's necessary, I think, over the next couple of months and years to make sure you start to differentiate for real. Yeah. Because it's interesting. In one breath, people will tell me, oh, uh, hiring's so hard. PTs are so hard to find, right? And then in the next breath, though, it's like, there's a lot of these practices already around. Like both things can't be true. We can't yeah. have too few PTs and too many practices. Yeah. So somewhere in there is an excuse or worse. <laughs> exactly. So they're not reaching. Yes. So the thing that's true about that is almost every physical therapist out there is working right now. You know, Yeah. they all have yeah. a job. There's not a lot of unemployed physical therapists. So you're just not reaching that person. They don't know that you're looking for somebody. And I guess going back to what you were just talking about is, yes, they will say, everyone will say what can't be done. But I think people fall into a trap by thinking there's some way it has to be done. There's some path that because it's a physical therapy business, it has to be done this way. And this is just how it is. And there's really not, it's not that way. You look at your problem and you just reverse engineer it and you think outside the box and keep an open mind. Like for the staffing side of things, I mean, we immediately said, okay, What do we have that other people don't have? We have a great culture. We have nice facilities that people would be proud to work in. There's a lot of PT practice that don't have nice facilities because they would never justify spending $15,000 on new floors or $5,000 on new paint or Mm $20,000 on new equipment. So $50,000 could literally get somebody to have a a nice place, but Mm -hmm. they don't do that. So now what happens is the physical therapists leave them and go work for someone like us because we do and they want to be a part of that. And then how much does it cost to replace that physical therapist? You just lost $50,000 in revenue over three months because you did, you were short one physical therapist during season. You know, So yeah. I think when you start to think of things like that, you can't be short-sighted. So, and then with the staffing thing too, like the way that we have solved our staffing problem right now is we have excellent students that come in. 
Okay, so our the student having physical therapy students is not only great for your business because basically they're with you for 12 weeks, you don't pay them, and they can treat patients and actually bill for their services. But not only that, they're potential employees. So I was driving to a conference with my partner, Brian, and we're talking about kind of what headwinds do we have? Staffing. Okay, yes, yeah, staffing, staffing. Everyone's talking about staffing. And I said, you know, we had four students this year lined up and three of them canceled because they couldn't find affordable housing in our area because everything is just rented up. So mm-hmm. we're like, damn it, you know, those students, we could have hired at least one of those. Actually, the last round of four students, we 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 hired two students. So I said, well, how do we fix that problem? And so I called my mom as a realtor. I said, mom, uh, is there any duplexes out there? Is there any multifamily residences? And, you know, what do they cost? Okay. We actually, on the phone, driving to this conference, we bought sight unseen this duplex that she had listed and said, let's buy this duplex. We're going to turn it into our student housing. And now we're going to advertise to every university out there in Florida that we have free student housing. And if they let us interview first all of their students and pick the ones that we want to see, then we're going to give them housing for free while they're on their internship with us. So we pay, you know, our cost to hold that is we pay maybe 500 to, you know, $1,000 worth of interest every month on that property. Mm-hmm. And we're literally hiring that first yeah. round hired two of the four. So it's like, you know, it costs us tens of thousands of dollars to hire and train staff. So why aren't we thinking of problems like that? Right. See, I didn't even know that. That's such a cool story. But like that, that right there is, is a perfect example of like, I think that this industry, well, understandably, this industry is full of smart people. You got to like, you know, be smart to go to school and, and do all that. Right. But one of the side effects of that is you, you start to think in the box about everything. And I know I'm using cliches and stuff like that, but you inevitably go to get stuck in that box. And now everything's a problem. Everything's hard. There's uh, 97 reasons why something won't work. And it's so refreshing and novel to kind of just say, I know what the problems are going to be, but what's the one, I just need one thing to go right. In your case, it's like, you know, how do you differentiate? Well, you've solved the pain point. And I think that's uh, super smart. I think that's like, that should be in everybody's playbook. I think the thing about this is that like, if people, if more practice owners sort of embraced this media mentality, this marketing mentality, I know it's going to be hard because you can't attribute everything exactly, right? You can't exactly, you know, there's just, it's so hard to do that. But the truth is it like breaks you free of a lot of these day-to-day problems in the sense that, you know, you said something earlier about like, in some places you have to interview two candidates and you're, that's all you get. You got to then pick out of those two. And really the thing is, is for example, with good marketing, good branding, good forward thinking like this, you end up making the pool of applicants much, much larger. I think that's the thing is that like the thing that most PTs don't understand is that whoever wins the awareness game, right? Whether it's in your local community or wherever you are, like whoever wins that, that local awareness game will dominate in almost any, in in every measurable way. Cause anybody that wants to get recruited is going to come there. Anybody that wants to get treated is going to remember that name. There's a physical therapist that I follow who's been very well branded. His name is Mike Reinhold. He's got a physical therapy office in Boston, Mass. And he used to be the athletic trainer for the Boston Red Sox. And he's been doing podcasts and videos. And you know he has a huge following that he's built up over five or 10 years. And he does something very interesting. 
when he wants to hire somebody, he puts out an advertisement for an internship for whatever three month internship. You have to apply with a video and let me know why you're the right candidate is your company's adding one therapist. And you know, this is an internship for a possible full-time position. It's not even a full-time position, you know, and this guy's getting hundreds of applicants to train and work at his place for free as an intern. And we're all trying to right. sponsor Indeed ads and pay head, headhunters $10,000 to find uh, one applicant. And this guy's got the 500 to choose from because of the fact that he's built that media brand. And I watched that happen. I'm like, that guy is a genius, you know? Yeah. I mean, you and I have talked about various topics around this core idea every time we've met for dinner. And I think it's like, it's the part where like people are either going to just like zone out at this point or they're going to like really lean in and pay attention. And, and that is that like, you know, there's a power law effect here. And I think the reality is, is that you're going to spend the money anyway. One way or the other, you're going to spend the money. You're either going to spend the money on Indeed ads and sponsoring 5Ks or whatever, or you're going to spend the money on building a first-party relationship with your customer or your audience or your, you know, your local community or whatever. The fact of the matter is you're going to spend the money whether you know it or not. So why not actually start to focus on building a first-party relationship yeah. as opposed to a third-party relationship? And so third-party relationships, as an example, are like doctor referrals, you know, especially if you're not in a direct access state, of course. But like, that's a really risky thing, you know, yeah. like one day the doctor likes you and remembers you on the form and the next day, you know, she's thinking about something else and, oh, but so-and-so sent a nicer platter. So I'm going to send them there. You know, it's just kind of the way it works. Or the doctor retires. I mean, we had a doctor just got in trouble domestically and had to move out of the state and that's 30 referrals per month that dried up on us, you know, mm -hmm. and, oof, you know, you had no control over it. No. Yeah. So it's like, one way or the other, the I think the nerdy part that you and I always kind of riff on, even if we don't say it specifically every time we meet, is this idea of like, how do you go from third-party relationships with your patients to first-party relationships? And like, not to go totally off topic, I think if practice owners don't really start to think about this, they're going to find themselves in the same place that restaurants find themselves right now. So restaurants, as an example, one of my best friends owns a ton of them, like thousands of these things. And like 50% of his revenue is coming from things like Uber Eats and DoorDash and stuff like that, which is terrifying because it's such a big part of his revenue now that he can't piss off yeah. Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever. But on the flip side, he now has no direct relationship with those clients or those customers and uh, has no way to remarket to them or whatever. And he's at the mercy of now spending even more ad dollars. It's a lock-in effect. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to happen with PT over the next couple of years if people aren't serious about this is that you're going to become beholden to some intermediary that owns the relationship with the patient. And some, I mean, there's a parallel there as well between insurance companies and Uber Eats. You know, I mean, if Uber Eats decides one day they, they want to take a larger percentage, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, same with insurance companies with the physical therapy field. I mean, all of a sudden they say, Medicare, yeah, we're going to actually cut your, we've gone through like, I think around a, like a 13 to 15% cut in the last five years, right? When you average in the physical therapy, assistant cuts plus the overall cuts. In the inflationary time of the last five years, we've gone through that kind of cut. I mean, that's, I think, what the private practice owner is looking at. And you're right. If you want to break those chains and get out of there, you have to have a first-party relationship. And that's, I've been thinking about that term, first-party relationship. I didn't know what it meant when you said it. Uh, I think 
on your last podcast, but I've been, I was like right away, I was like, whether it's physician referrals, whether it's the social media platform, you know, you got to somehow appeal to these patients to make them want to come to you for something, not through somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been putting a, a lot of thought behind that recently. Like, I think the, and again, I don't want to make it too nerdy and go down the path here, but like, if you want to see what's going to happen in the healthcare industry over the next five or 10 years, just look at the consumer world. And I think the reality is, is that, you know, maybe that won't make sense to most people, but everything, like we are all operating as consumer companies, you know, like patients. Well, anyway, you're nodding, so I won't, I won't riff on that too much, but I just think this topic is the thing that nobody's talking about. Like, you know, the fact is like, you're already investing in content and you're thinking about marketing and, you know, obviously we won't name names and get ourselves in trouble, but you've even paid the, the big well-known marketing firms oh, to yeah. boost your firm locally. The reality is, is that the tech stack, the technology stack that's available to PT owners, like what is considered sophisticated in this industry wouldn't stand the test of daylight in the consumer world. Like, I really think that a thousand to two thousand dollars a month for a practice owner should be enough in terms of paid marketing to really dominate the local region. Now, obviously, those numbers might go up if everybody figures that out. Yeah. But if history is any is going to be the same or whatever, the reality is most people are just going to listen to this and then ignore it and then wonder why their practice is going down instead of up over the next couple of years. I think getting to the point, how do you pull the trigger? Then that's something like with this digital business that we're we're looking at with the studio type thing is when something is foreign to you, it's really hard to make the leap. You can sit there and think about it and talk about it. One, the average, like, you know, we, we already talked about the average practice owner doesn't believe that they should give themselves the time to think about this stuff or they don't do it. But then even if you do have the time to think about it, they're so specialized. They grew up, they were in books their whole life. They took their degree. They don't have a diverse they don't know a lot about a lot. They know a lot about a little and it can be daunting, overwhelming, and I can share their pain. I mean, I've been knowing that I need to do this business for a long time. And just now, right now, are we actually making the launch? And a lot of it is honestly because of our conversations. I'm seeing what you guys are, what you guys are doing with Strata. And I'm like, okay, here's the tailwind that I need to make this happen here. Mm -hmm. But I think as much as a practice owner wants to do it, they're going to listen to this podcast and they're going to be like, I just can't because I don't know how. And I won't spend the money to figure it out or, or won't ask for help from the right people because they've never had to do that before. So why would they start doing it now? Yeah. Well, and, and it's one of those things where like, you know, there's no shortage of advice that's out there either, right? There's a million consultants and, you know, that will gladly sell you their $197 info product to get 30 clients in 30 seconds with my secret plan, you know? Yeah. And so like, it just sort of gives the entire industry a bad name. And anyway, but I think, the core concept here, and I, and I hope we can kind of keep doing this conversation over the next couple months too and figure it out together. But like, the, I think the key concept is, is that like, you can't think of marketing or media as like a nice to have. The reality is I think it's going to become the moat that's necessary over the next couple of years as this new demographic starts to age into, into the industry. And I may not be exactly right on this, but I think directionally, it's true. And we've seen it in almost every other industry already, right? Like if you're not thinking about what that next generation is going to look like and how they, how they think about things. I mean, I, sorry, just as an aside, I think one of the things that made Apple so successful is not only the core product. I mean, uh, and, you know, obviously like I would say that Apple's products, love them or hate them, 
their products are the table stakes. They have to be good for people to spend that kind of money. But the real differentiation is in the experience of it. Like, you know, the best way I can say this quickly is there's no flimsy door handles at an Apple store. Yeah, You're going to walk in there and of course you're going to see things that are $3,000, $5,000. Holy cow, how am I going to pay this? Of course you are, right? But you will never like put your hand on anything that doesn't feel like $5,000 either. Yeah, uh, even yeah. if you go ask to go to the bathroom, it's like going to have a heavy door handle. It's like when you go to like a Michelin restaurant, a Michelin starred restaurant, yeah. like the receipt is like thick, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, that experience is, is key. So anyway, I think it's really fascinating. It's perceived value, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. We are going to do this a lot more often, I think, because I, yeah. I think it'd be kind of fun to like hear how your efforts are progressing and maybe we can kind of share notes as we do this. Sure. If people want to find you, like, let's say they just want to kind of figure out what you're thinking about, maybe even talk to you at some point or whatever. Do they, obviously we've learned they can't come in and get a massage from you, but how do they find you? <laughs> I'm a pretty easily reachable guy. I mean, I let everyone have my cell phone number. I'm not that important yet to where I have to start uh, screening that out, but email's the best. It's my first name, Justin at totaltherapyfl.com. I read all my emails and I respond to everybody. So that's probably the best way. But, you know, and I think probably next time we have this conversation, we'll have some sort of a start on this digital business to where I can hopefully point people in that direction also. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.